If tech had a hype week, this would be it. Happy, well, Friday, friends. I was going to say 2022 because it is the first podcast of 2022. And we are kicking it off with what could only be described in the industry as hype week. It's hype week because all the tech companies may or may not have gone to Las Vegas and they may or may not have made some big announcements. But there's a lot of industry announcements that have come out that, well, you, you can't touch, you can't buy, you can't benchmark, and all you can do is wait. So it's a great hype week because nvidia amd intel everybody everybody comes out of the out of the woodworks after the holiday season says here's our great stuff that's coming this year and and hopefully it lives up to the the marketing hype that we're about to deliver and so on one hand i'm like really excited on the other hand it's like hey, we gotta temper expectations because all we've seen so far is marketing speak for how awesome everything is going to be in 2022 and so let's just dive into some of the things that i think are more interesting to at least this audience and i'm obviously very interested in this as well so we'll kick it off with nvidia they obviously announced the 3090 ti if you said i have too much power and my power supply is being utilized enough do they have the graphics card for you the 3090 ti will be another very power hungry chipset uh coming from the company although personally i'm hoping that this year we actually hear about the 4000 series that was kind of one of the things that been floating around and so uh we will have to wait and see but they did also announce the mobile 3080 and 70 ti's or if you're watching the keynote they called it the ties uh but i think the industry pretty much has accepted ti they don't know how to call their own product anyways uh those things are all coming this year honestly the mobile stuff is probably the more interesting conversation honestly throughout much of this podcast because amd also came out and announced ryzen 6000 mobile which looks honestly pretty darn good now granted take everything i'm saying with like a massive grain of uh, winter salt because we don't have third-party independent benchmarks for nearly any of this stuff and so we're just saying oh, it looks great on paper um, but it looks like we're getting a lot more cores and a lot more threads and a lot more performance out of these mobile chipsets, which is really, really good. AMD also announced the 5800X 3D, which has the first, I believe, the first uh, chip release that has their 3D uh, V-Cache technology, which is going to be, I believe, a major component of Zen 4. <laughs> Honestly, when I heard the way that they're launching this this new technology, it was like, I bet this is sort of almost like a pilot because they're just like, we need it, we need to get it because the chipset doesn't make much sense. Like, why announce this specific chip other than the fact that it does according to them granted no third-party benchmarks beat out a 12900k from intel maybe that's the reason why but they're getting one of their new chips out with this new technology and maybe they just have the fabrications up and running like we'll do this get this out the door and keep our crown for a little bit but they did announce that zen 4 which will be known as ryzen 7000 will be coming later this year and that is something i'm absolutely waiting for because amd tends to do a lot of fun things with these sort of this sort of stuff now keep in mind that zen 4 will come with a new socket i believe it's am4 was the old uh, or the current i should say amd uh chipset or, or whatever um i just <laughs> just lost train of thought there it's the, they're upgrading the, the socket i could not think of the word socket because i think it's am4 is their current socket uh, and so it will not be truly like backwards compatible, but hey, they already had a couple generations of chips that came out or a couple releases that all worked on that socket. So it's time for them to update, unlike Intel, who changes it every single time. Speaking of Intel, they now have, they also announced a 12th gen KS series chip that is a 5.5 gigahertz CPU that I, I'm very curious about how this actually works in the thermals, in the throttling, because it's already pretty well known that... <laughs> 
the latest, the, the 12th gen stuff is very spicy. It, it, it's Alderbake um, is sort of the, the, the name that gets tossed around. But the new mobile chipset stuff looks fantastic. It's coming, it's crazy to think. 14 cores. Now they have their, their efficiency cores, which really cut away. So it's not 14 like power hungry cores, but it's 14 cores and 20 threads coming into a mobile chipset. And so this looks fantastic. Again, it all looks great on paper, much like the AMD Ryzen 6000 mobile stuff. It all looks fantastic, but we need some really, truly hardcore independent benchmarks for this stuff just to see how good it is. But on paper, they are promising some massive gains, some massive uh, performance gains, primarily because, again, Alder Lake was not something that was... People will come out and say, well, Alder Lake was just a response to the M1. If you if you understand how long Intel's been working on Alder Lake, it's been something like 10 years. It's been a long long time and so uh this is a really good chipset coming out of the gate for them hopefully the next ones are a little bit more maybe efficient and not so hot uh especially you know speaking of the 12th gen stuff but either way it's a really big jump in performance one thing we did not see though from intel was their arc gpus now they did talk about them a little bit about how they have this new fancy technology that will allow uh integrated and discrete gpus uh to, to work together again as long as they're all from intel on the same chipset and so we didn't get any actual release dates, pricing, or anything else, and so it's expected, I believe, in the ARC stuff supposed to arrive before March of this year, and so I'm guessing they're going to have their own dedicated event, and maybe that's what's worthwhile. I mean, the real the reality, if I could enunciate, the reality here is as long as Intel can come with a competitive mid-range GPU and they can get it on store shelves... They should do all right because that is the. You got to go back a couple years and look at AMD's strategy. Yes, for a while they didn't have a quote unquote like 3090 Ti, the top of the range stuff, because they were made. They were just making lots of money in the mid range market, which is where most people buy cards. So as long as Intel can land in that mid region and be competitive on pricing and candidly availability, then they should do okay. So a lot of eyes on them. Uh, but not nothing that you know. You can't go out and buy an Arc GPU. You can't go out and buy much of the stuff that has been announced yet again. One of the most interesting things that was announced this week, and there are a couple different devices that fall into this category, but we'll pick on um, just one. It's the ZenBook Fold. So this is an OLED display. This is, think of taking, if you're not you know, watching the video, it doesn't even matter, I'm not throwing it, whatever. Um, Think of the Surface Book 3 where you detach the lid and you just have that screen, but it folds. Now, Lenovo has had something similar to this. Samsung obviously makes their foldable stuff. But here's what's like really fascinating to me is what OS is this stuff going to run? Now, it's going to be running Windows, but what? Like, if you just throw vanilla Windows 11 on there, it doesn't make sense, I don't think, right? You can use Touch on Windows 11, and it is okay. Like, they, they increase the spacing and do some other funky things, um, but it's not really, like, a touch-first design environment. And so why? what is this OS going to run? So we had there was a conversation on Twitter, and Rich Woods, who uh, we, we used to work over at Neowen, I've known him for years, he's a been in the Microsoft community for a while, so that he heard that Microsoft just said, hey, OEMs, it's up to you to build the touch interface, which is, oh, wait, what? That seems kind of crazy to me. It reminds me of when Android first launched and we had all these potential custom skins from like everybody had their own skin. Like I think T-Mobile even had their own. Then there was the Google skin. Then there was uh, the one, like everybody had their own skin on top. And it was, it was honestly more sad than anything else because companies would come out with a product and then just never update the UI after it shipped and people bought it and then and they were like just never updated it. Um, I will be very interested to see if companies actually do build out their own UI for these types of products. It, it just it, that's a pretty big uplift and a pretty big ask to say like yeah you can go build the stuff but we're not going to support you with a touch first environment. 
That's what supposedly Microsoft said to these guys. So we will see. Anyways, uh, I'll be very curious to watch. I mean, these devices look fantastic. If somebody can truly create a foldable display, foldable display that doesn't feel like a resist, like one of those old resistive touch displays, could be massively interesting. Could be massively interesting. And you can't ignore the Surface Neo, which was supposed to be in this arena using an a UI that would make sense on those types of devices. So. We'll find out. We'll find out where that goes. Um, not to leave Microsoft out of the CES conversation, but we will a little bit. Uh, they announced they had an announcement in partnership with Qualcomm about custom chips for next-gen AR glasses. Now we know Microsoft is already working on this type of stuff. They have Hololens. It's already that is one of the few things you can't go out and buy right now. And so clearly they're working with Qualcomm on chipsets that will work for these devices. Microsoft has been a pretty big proponent in the VR, AR space. Remember, they used they used to. They still have the mixed reality headsets, and these things all fall in line with that category. We all expect them to eventually try to continue to shrink down HoloLens and bridge that gap with a true AR, VR, like glasses, not goggles, if you will. And so this might be another step on that journey and towards getting them to that. Now... Outside of CES, if you will, uh, there is a new build of Windows out, and there's one minor change. It has an updated Alt-Tab experience. Now, the blog post from Microsoft didn't actually have a picture of it, but Brandon LeBlanc, uh, who works on the Microsoft team and the blog team, uh, shared an image of it on Twitter with me. And I was like, man, this looks familiar. So right now, when you hit Alt-Tab in Windows 11 or 10, it's a full screen experience. It, it takes over the whole screen and you can see large windows and whatever. If you remember Windows 7, that Alt-Tab experience, the what they're testing out, it's with a small subset of insiders, is a Alt-Tab experience that looks very similar to that. It doesn't take over the whole screen. It's almost like a little window in the middle and you can quickly move between windows. I personally kind of like the Windows 7 experience. It's less visually jarring, if you will. And so they're testing that out. And I guess if they get enough positive praise, they'll maybe include it in the next version of Windows that ships next year at this point, as, as far as we know. And so uh, that is what that looks like. Looks If you, if you don't follow me on Twitter and you don't want to, I don't blame you. Just go look at the Windows 7 Alt-Tab UI. It's a similar-ish like experience to that. Now, other things that I find fascinating for things that aren't right on the surface. So Google has announced that they're building some deeper integrations with Windows. FastPair is the thing that's come out. Uh, text messaging sync, nearby share have all been discussed as well. But here's what I find fascinating is that Google is suddenly now taking interest in making Windows work better with its mobile phones. Now, Microsoft has obviously gone pretty far down this initiative already with things like your phone, but then they announced that they're bringing the Android store via Amazon to Windows. And then that sort of launched off an initiative from Google being like, wait a minute, we don't want Microsoft maybe to own this. And so now we're hearing, we're not even hearing, Google said they're bringing Android games to Windows. And now all of a sudden they've got better integrations with their phones. And so, you know, it, it almost feels like a cold war, if you will, between Microsoft trying to integrate Android into Windows and now Google trying to integrate Android into Windows. And both these companies are competing to see who can be pretty much the de facto player when it comes to integrating these services like should you use google services to integrate into windows or should you use microsoft service to integrate android into windows who knows the only thing that i can really tell you is that the consumer typically wins when two massive giants like this are competing and that's sort of the vibe that i'm getting between google and microsoft right now which is i i, I think is fantastic so i'm super looking forward to that 
And anyways, uh, on to the gaming news of the week. So there's some things going on. Uh, this one kind of sounds amazing. Uh, Rainbow Six Extraction is coming to Xbox Game Pass on day one. Now, the reason why, obviously, this is a big deal. This is an Ubisoft title. So Ubisoft putting something into Game Pass is a big deal. And the fact that it's also happening on day one means we have another third-party developer, a big third-party developer, utilizing Game Pass as a launch platform, which is a big deal because there's obviously uh, ramifications for monetary. Uh, you know, you're probably going to get less sales, but you're going to get more users. And so I have a theory on some of this stuff. On games that depend on large multiplayer audiences, games that depend on large multiplayer audiences, launching into Game Pass on day one might be a very, very lucrative strategy because somebody like myself, I probably would not have bought Rainbow Six Extraction. I probably would not have bought it. But now that it's coming to day, pa day Pass, Game Pass on day one, uh, there's a probably a pretty good chance that I might buy it, and I will actually start playing that multiplayer because of it. And so it's an interesting multiplayer experience, too. It's a game worth checking out, but I think that might be a potential strategy and a marketing pitch from Microsoft. It's like, look, just put it into Game Pass for two months or whatever, and get it out there on launch day, and you're going to get a large audience up front, exposure to the title, and then they can buy it if they like it, sort of thing. Now, they're definitely going to lose some sales up front, so I'm assuming that Microsoft is probably toss throwing, you know, tossing them a bone uh, via dollar dues or mini fridge units uh, to get them into that. But super interesting. And then, of course, building on top of that, Ubisoft also announced that it will be bringing Ubisoft Plus subscription to the Xbox platform. So maybe this is like them dabbling uh, Ubi, you know, a Rainbow Six title out there to get you like it and then hopefully getting you to jump over to their subscription service. Well, it's another subscription service that you could be paying for. At the end of the day, options are a good thing. The fact that it's natively going to be on Xbox is another good thing. It just makes life easier if you want to go down that route. And so it's hard to complain about having options. Also, a little bit of FUD that needs to be cleared from the shelves. Um, there was some news about Xbox blocking developer mode on Xbox consoles. Jason Rowland came out and said, no, slice that right off. And so typically, and this, this makes sense, especially knowing the time of the year. So Microsoft has an ability for you to load, turn your Xbox into a dev box and, and do certain things that that entails. Every once in a while, Microsoft goes through and look and says, look, these are all inactive boxes. We are going to purge them or just disable the functionality for now because it's not being used. And they may, I don't know if they look at it as a security exposure, but they definitely look at it as general maintenance of if you're not actively using it, you probably shouldn't have it enabled because it probably potentially creates a more buggy experience. So they turn it off. And then the headlines went crazy that Microsoft was doing this for various reasons. Like uh, they didn't want emulation. They didn't want Nintendo backwards compatibility through uh, through emulators on their stuff, like just crazy things. And it really, what it just came out to was, no, this is a big nothing burger and that they were just turning off inactive accounts. You can actively go back in there and re-enable it, but this was just a maintenance thing. And that is what happened. So just kind of keep that in mind. Anyways, jumping over to the questions of the week. We got, oh, we got a long question from JNBCK. Happy Friday, Brad. Happy Friday to you. Uh, this is more of a follow-up on a PSA regarding a question I had last week about PC Game Pass. Oh, for a child account. Sorry, it gets bits long-winded, but I wanted to explain it full. If you remember, I asked whether I should purchase PC Game Pass under my own account or under the or set up one under my son controlled under the Microsoft family account. I purchased it on his account by buying a $100 gift card and redeeming it under his account and using it to subscribe. The problem came when playing EA games. Madden, rest in peace, uh, was one of the big titles he wanted to play. EA is very strict regarding child accounts and does not allow underage accounts on the EA platform 
which is included with Game Pass. I spoke with EA and Microsoft support on this, and they both told me there is no way around this limitation. Therefore, I had the subscription refund it and then bought it under my account so he can play EA games. The new problem is the $100 gift card, oh, $100 gift card has already been redeemed by his account and now is just sitting limbo. Microsoft tells me there is no way to use it to play Game Pass on an adult account or transfer it to refund it. I even tried buying another gift card. No, you can't buy gift cards with gift cards. Using it because money laundering, that's why. Uh, using it, and they also do not allow it. As for now, the plan is just to wait it out and to buy Game Pass when he turns 13 and is allowed uh, to use EA software. That was going to be my recommendation too, without knowing how old your your son is. I was going to say, man, if you can just, if they, I don't believe game, I don't believe this credits expire, and so, yeah, you. Were, I was going to say, just wait it out. And then when he's 13, it's like, ta-da, you got 100 bucks, um, and that's the birthday gift. So, uh, happy New Year, Brad from Sydney 2K. He says, any interesting things that caught your eye at this year's CES? So, aside from the chipset stuff, because I'm deeply fascinated by that, one thing I will tell you that was super interesting is Samsung has a new uh, OLED technology coming to market. Now, this is supposed to be way brighter than LG, and early reports are saying that it's a lot better than LG's OLED. So, in, especially in terms of brightness, reds, and yellows. So, LG's OLED, the C9, or I have a C9, the C series, effectively, is the top dog in the TV market. Like, they're the best displays, but they're OLED, and they're not super bright, and there's burn-in concern. Looks like Samsung is going to be coming out, and this is not mini LED. This is true OLED with some quantum dot stuff tossed on top of it in some of their own spicy new technology. And so we're actually seeing this already in some gaming uh, monitors. I think the new Alienware might be using this OLED display. But either way, the fact that Samsung is coming out with gaming displays means that they're not concerned about burn it, which is a massive thing. So my big thing that I'm looking forward to coming to market is actually these new Samsung OLED TVs. Uh, they, on paper, again, look very, very, very good and look like they're going to be topping LG's already fantastic OLEDs, but I'm guessing that they're going to come at a pretty steep price premium. But even if they do, and then LG's very good OLEDs drop in price, then everybody wins at the end of the day. So that is something that I am absolutely looking forward to. Uh, Mr. PKI coming in says, I am confused on the Ubisoft coming to Game Pass on Xbox. Are, are the games included in Game Pass or do you have to pay a separate monthly subscription to Ubisoft? I believe you have to pay a separate subscription to Ubisoft. Uh, and now that you are done with Halo Infinite campaign, are you still playing multiplayer? Are you, have you gone back to PUBG? I have not gone back to PUBG. I haven't played. I've gone back to Warzone for the most part. Um, I do occasionally still play the campaign because not... Let me qualify that. I don't... When I play Warzone, I... Very, very, very rarely playing it by myself. They have a group of friends that I play with, and if they're on, then then we're all playing Warzone because that's just the common title we all like. But if I'm jumping on and I'm just trying to kill some time by myself, there's one of three titles that I play. I either jump into Halo Infinite just to do some of the side quests because it's non-stressful. Just, you know, play at your own will. Um, or Forza Horizon 5. I'm still playing that. I don't know if I will ever finish it. And then on occasion, too, I'm also jumping into Flight Sim. And so... Um, I haven't done too much back into Halo multiplayer yet, mostly because they're, I'm waiting for some of the changes to come, fully come through, waiting for more maps. And again, I, I, if I'm playing a online multiplayer game, typically I just prefer Warzone just because I'm just used to it. And um, I don't know, that's just where I am. It's just where I am. Uh, Yoshi says, do you think Microsoft and Ubisoft are testing the waters for a possible acquisition in the future? It seemed like rumors were strong for the past year that Microsoft wasn't done buying studios, and I always thought Ubisoft was good in that regard. So, 
this adds some color. If you guys remember, it was like, was it last summer? Or I know what rumors you're talking about. There was this big Microsoft mind Ubisoft collaboration. Uh, typically, and this is why I get real dicey about saying this is going to happen, because it's very clear that these two companies were talking because we got uh, Rainbow Six coming to Game Pass on day one. And we also have the Ubisoft subscription service coming to Xbox. Very clearly, these Ubisoft just doesn't just mail them like a, a USB key and say, put this on there. Like it's a collaborative experience and effort, which obviously means that they were talking, which obviously is probably what bled out into the rumors of an acquisition. And so that's why I get dicey about it, because it's not that these, if, if I were to come out and said they're buying it, that's wrong. But if I said, yeah, they're talking, that is very clearly accurate because of what has manifested with this actual announcement. As for will this make it more likely for them to, to acquire them? Let me put it this way. This is not going to turn them off from acquiring them, right? If they're integrating deeper into the Xbox world, Microsoft can very clearly see the transactions and the profitability that they're pulling through their platform pretty easily. And they know the type of subscribers that they will be getting. That being said, I don't know if it necessarily means that they're going to acquire them, but it definitely doesn't hurt that potential narrative. But at the same time, Ubisoft is pretty large. So I don't know if Microsoft is willing to do that large of an acquisition yet again. Obviously, they're still working through the Bethesda stuff. And I don't mean like financially, they've already paid and paid out for that. But they're still getting those processes and games integrated into a pipeline experience inside of the world of Microsoft. So um, I don't think it's a bad thing like in the world of acquisitions by any means at all. So there you go, guys. Uh, that sort of wraps up the first week-ish, if you will, of 2022. We had CES coming out, gangbusters, and lancing a lot of stuff, and hopefully everybody's staying happy. Hopefully everybody's staying healthy, and I can't wait to talk to all of you right back here next time.